All right. So this week, um, and for those that are joining, it's going to be, I'm going to do most of today's class more outside and did a little less in the text. Um, chapter five has a lot of, it's, it's kind of a side note in the general scheme of things, but it's also the terminology could be a little confusing for someone who's not as familiar with these terms. So we're going to try to keep it, um, we're going to try to keep the uh, conversation more orally today. But before I do discuss chapter five, I want to recap. Um, I want to recap chapter four a little bit and delve on the topics. Cause I think if you came to a lesson on Shari Yichud Vamuna on the on this section of the Tanya, and you just took away the message from chapter four and five, you took away one of the most fundamental ideas of the of this section of the Tanya. And I'm going to hopefully elaborate on that today. So you'll see how this is really a crucial fundamental belief within Judaism that kind of sets the tone for so many elements of the way we look at the world and how we experience um, our surroundings and so on and so forth and the alike. So, to begin, we have to understand or recall the question that led us to chapter four. And the question that led us to chapter four is we spent three, the first three chapters of the Tanya explaining how creation is all a extension of God. It's not a separate entity from God, based on the fact that being that the world is created from absolutely nothing, so its existence is contingent on the energy that makes it to be, just like any electric outlet is contingent on the energy that's driving it. And the second the energy is taken away, you don't have any electronics or so on. So the same is with creation, are, we're contingent on God. And I kind of gave a metaphor for it. It's like a kind of like a code program, which is... A may have even like AI may have intelligence or whatnot, but it's still a program monitored and controlled by the coder and the code that sets it to be. So creation also, being that it's an act of God and created by God, um, is solely is fully contingent on God making creation be, and therefore it's not in any way a separate entity from God. Am I making myself clear so far? Not to me. All right. So I'll recap that. Initially, the Tanya begins off with the question, if God is, if God is one and nothing else exists besides God, then how can we exist? How is it that there's a world which we feel as we are our own entity, our own beings, or our own creation, if God is the only thing that exists? And did God's unity, did God's oneness change at all from creation? And what the Tanya made the case in the first three chapters was that creation only exists in our perception. From God's perception, nothing ever changed. God is the coder. God is the code. We exist. We're our extension of God in all, way, in all ways. And we see that the way we know that we're not a real entity on our own is from the fact that if God would cease to make creation or make our reality be, we would cease to exist. We don't exist the same way 
normal creation that we interact with on a day-to-day thing. When I create something, I'm taking resources that pre-existed and repurposing it. Creation as a whole, there was nothing before. God created this world from absolute nothingness. And therefore, for it to continue to be, it needs God's constant force to create it to be. Just like within our own reality, when we want to force something to go against its nature, like holding a rock from falling, we need to constantly hold that rock. Otherwise, it's going to fall to the floor. And when we see by miracles, in order for the miracle to exist, like the splitting of the sea, God had to constantly blow the winds to keep the water standing because it's going against its nature. So in that same way, the whole creation is really a miracle that doesn't really, on its own, can't naturally exist. And we only naturally exist because God allows us to feel that way. So from God's perspective, our existence is never a solely independent existence that's acting on their own. They're always an extension and an expression of God. So from God's perspective, we're just a, we're, we're, we're always stay connected and always are a part of God. It's only us which feel that we walk on our own two feet and that we're able to walk without God or don't feel God. Is that better? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, With that said, came the question at the end of chapter three, if we are actually just mere extensions from God, you know, when your GPS, as smart as it is, the enable to tell you wherever to go, if it gets in a conundrum or you turn a street, it says rerouting. Or if you lose connection from to the data to if you lose connection to uh, the Internet, it says no data, right? Or reconnecting. So as intelligent as programs are, they always know that they don't have any knowledge unless they're connected to their source. So here's the question in the chapter three. If we are, at the end of the day, just an extension of code of God and just expressions and a form of reality that's all within God's reality, we're not separate beings. Why don't we feel that way? Why do we, why do we when we wake up in the morning, Say, where's my coffee? Not, hey, where's God, right? We don't have that reconnect or rerouting system within us when we feel lost. We don't say, we don't automatically turn for God. The one time we have that, they say, where is there's no atheist in a foxhole, in a foxhole, right? So when the plane is going, when there's horrible turbulence, all of a sudden everyone's praying. That's the one time we have that rerouting system within ourselves. But on a day-to-day basis, we don't feel that. And the question is why? How can it be? That we are all a extension of God, and yet I don't feel that in any way, shape, or form on a daily basis unless I consciously, unless we're sitting at a Tanya class like we are today to discuss it. So in chapter four, the Tanya introduced a very essential idea. Um, and the idea is so essential that the Tanya kind of goes on a little tangent sidetrack, elaborating how essential this idea is, which leads into chapter five. What is this idea? The idea is there's within life, within ourselves, I'll put it this way. When we look at ourselves, our body, the way we're structured, we have a right side and a left side. Within our brain, there's a right side of the brain, there's a left side of the brain. We have a right hand and we have a left hand. We have a right foot and we have a left foot. Now, what would happen if we had two right feet or two left feet? Let's walk around in a circle. We would be imbalanced, right? We wouldn't be able to walk with any stability. And this is 
a essential idea within Judaism. Everything in life comes through balance. When God created this world, there was a right and a left hand, sort of say. There were two different modes acting simultaneously. And at all times, for our reality to exist, there's always going to be a dual element playing together. And in chapter four, he started off with the parable of the quoting from Psalms, where it says that God is our, our, our son and our guardian. So normally when we read that verse, we assume it's just, you know, praising God as God is our son and our guardian. There's two separate things. But the Tanya says, no, they're actually very much connected one with the other. There is God as the sun, as a force of light and a beacon of light. And a, a when we look at God, we see light. And then there's God as the protector. What does that mean? The sun itself, as rich and beneficial the sun is to us, it also is radioactive. And the environment that we have, the atmosphere that we live in protects us from the radiation of the sun so that we can enjoy the light of the sun and not be harmed by it. Another thing is, what's kind of ironic, is if you look into outer space where the sun is shining bright, outer space is dark. It's not light. Where do you see the light? Where do you feel the light of the sun? Only when you have something for the light to bounce off of. You need a world, you need something, you need a shield to bring the light into focus. So in the same way, when it comes to creation, while God is the force, there's a force of God which is light and the force of creation, for that force alone to be predominant, we would not be able to experience or see the reality of the world the way it is right now. Primarily, because if we feel how God is our source and we feel the direct energy that we have coming from God, we'll also feel how we're a part of God and we won't feel independent. We won't have freedom of choice. The whole experiment of this world of people acting on their own or creations acting on their own wouldn't be a possibility if we feel our connection, we feel how we're an extension of God. So if God were just to create the world with his energy of force and power of creation, we would all feel the extension of God. So at the same time that God is creating a world and trying to give, and we brought, there's multiple terminologies, and I'm going to repeat them because they're probably going to come up again. And they're, they're key ideas which are brought in Hasidus and Hasidus and Kabbalah many times. Um, the first thing is the two names of God. And this is in chapter seven. We're actually going to pick up this concept and focus more on the second name of God. There's two names of God. If you look in the book of creation, which will come up in a second. And if you look in any prayer, any prayer that you say, you say Baruch Ata Ado Shem Elokeinu. Both of those, Hashem Elokeinu. Adoshem and Elohim are both God's names. What's the double repetition of God's name over there? And many times in, in, in throughout verse, sometimes you'll have the name of Havaya, Hashem, which is spelled out Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. And many, other times you'll have Elohim. Sometimes Vayedaber, Havaya, that Hashem spoke to Moses. And sometimes Elohim spoke to Moses. 
What's the difference of the names? What's going on over here? So the Tanyan Hasidus explains that the name Havaya is an expression of the force of God, which is revelation. Whereas the name Elohim is like that protective shield, is the name of God which conceals to allow us to be able to filter and appreciate what the light, ha- what the what the energy in our reality. To the extent, as we'll learn in chapter seven, the name Elohim is the same numerical value and interchangeable with the word Teva nature in Hebrew. So the nature, the material reality. The constant reality, which makes us blind, oblivious to the wonder of the world that we live in, that's all the act of Shem Elohim. Similar, you know, we, we spoke in the introduction to the Tanya, we spoke how love and fear is the catalyst for any sort of action or inaction. In the same way, in our emotions, this connected is the concept of chesed and gvura, kindness and severity. When we use these terminologies, these are terminologies which are the source of any sort of giving or withholding or containment. So the act of creation, the act of actively creating, bringing something into being, that's an act of kindness. That's an act of chesed, which a lot of times we, in, when we talk in verses, God used his right hand, his left hand. The right hand is usually referred to chesed, as we said, right and left, all the concept of the economy of opposites so chesed is on one hand and gevura severity on the other hand but for anything to happen you need both elements you need the element of giving and also withholding i gave the parable last week if i have a hundred dollars that i wanted to give to my son but then i realized that giving a full hundred dollars may not be good for him right now because he's not able to doesn't know what to do with the money so i'm just going to give him fifty dollars so when I give that $50, am I doing an act of kindness or severity? Am I giving or holding back? So I'm kind of doing both in the same time, right? So in this way, every time God interacts with us, there is an element of the fact that he's interacting is an act of shame, Havaya, the act of kindness, but he's going to do so in a way which it's going to be very filtered so that it doesn't interfere with our reality for us to feel the way we are. So the name of Avayin Elohim, we're asking in our prayers, the reason why in our blessings we say, Baruch, thank you, Lord, our God, right? Hashem, Avayin Elohim. Why do we use both terminologies? We want more of the Shem Havaya, more of God's kindness to filter into our limited reality that's created through Shem Elohim. Now, the, this, this is all leading up to the kicker. The kicker is, now when we generally, we look at light and darkness, Darkness is an absence of light. It's not a force of its own. What we're saying over here, if you realize the undertone we're saying over here, is that the act of creation, the act of God's revelation within this world, and the act of God's absence are both powerful parts of God. The same way God is amazing and beyond wonder, the fact that God is able to create a world from absolutely nothing, is the fact that God is able to do so and be felt absent within that creation. Both the force of revelation and the force of lack of revelation are both active forces of God. In the Kabbalah, there's two candles. There's a candle of light and there's a candle of darkness. Both forces are active ways of God choosing to interact with us. It's not that God was 
created this world. And in order for us to feel independent, he took a blanket and covered himself. But as I mentioned last week, it's more like a child, a parent playing hide-and-go-seek with a child, which he took his two hands and covered his face. For the kid, you're not there until you uncover your face. You're hiding. But for any adult, you're not hiding. That's your hands. They see you, right? It's a game. In this way as well, within our world, the fact that we feel abs- that we feel God's absence is an act of God, something which is we can't comprehend. Because for us, holding back, we're, there's actually holding back. When I don't give those $50, I'm actually not, I'm only giving 50 of the $100, right? There's actually holding back. When I don't reveal myself to someone, I'm actually hiding. But God is actually hiding in plain sight. He is, he is the actual hidden reality that we're interacting with as well. And this is something which is hard for us to comprehend. The same way it's difficult for us to comprehend how you could create something from absolutely nothing. The closest we have to that is magic, which is not even real. (laughs) And the same way, the ability to create in literally in plain sight. There, you know, part of this, as I mentioned, if you the the parable of the sun being expressed over the uh, the light of the sun not being felt until there is a a shield sort of say a planet that the light of the sun absorbs it you know hits off of it uh, we gave in the beginning we gave a parable of the light of the sun right a that the atmosphere protects us from the sun so that we should be able to live within the sun's light and not be absolute and we compare that to the concept that we should be able to feel our existence within God's presence because we're sheltered by the act of concealment that God does, by the shame Elohim, by the Gevura, by the severity that kind of hides God so that we can feel like our own. And I also said that if you're outside of atmosphere, you don't see the light of the sun. Now, in in the vastness of the universe, is the sun's light not there? It's there. Light is shining. It's almost like if the you know a tree falls in the forest and no one's there, it doesn't make a sound, right? So, <laughs> in the universe where the sun is shining, is the sh- sun's light not shining there? It's shining there, but it's there's nothing. There, there's missing something to make it be felt. You know, it's only felt as it's a light of its own when there's an environment. So, in that sense as well, beyond our reality, there is no. Plate when you're unless you have a filter blocking, there's no place to feel independent. Existence is only possible through that filter. But what I, I wanted to I, I, I wanted to bring out another point, but I think it'll be better this way. If you take a child who's in elementary school and walk him into a college level course, or is he going to understand? Now he's starting to learn math. So instead of starting math with one plus one. You bring him into a college-level math course. Now, is the ultimate math not what's being taught in the college course? Absolutely. But can the child understand at all what's being taught? No. So at times, when something is so great, if we're not of the capacity to appreciate it, for us, we're just confused. So absence of God Sometimes it's not because of God's absence. It's just because we don't have the means of understanding 
God the way he is. So in a certain way, this is expressed in chapter four a little bit as well. The source of God's concealment actually comes from, a, in a way, a certain, a higher level within God than the creation of God, the revelation of God. So we, and this is explained elsewhere as well, sometimes when in life, when things happen to us, which, you know, we can't make sense of, it, some, it could be God acting in us in a way which is too great to express in normal terms. It's good beyond the good that we understand. So over here we see now a whole new perspective in the world that Judaism has. And that is, is that all parts of our life, whether they feel bright or they feel dark, are all part of God interacting with us. And this could help a little bit understand the irony that we grow through challenge. When do we discover the best of ourselves is when we get challenged. Someone who become, who's never challenged in their life tends to either be spoiled or is unable to deal with struggle when it comes up. Now, if someone doesn't have the support, unfortunately, and goes through a hard time, it could be detrimental. But if we have the support, able to find, we're able to find the muster, even when we deal with ourselves and we overcome internal struggles that we may have had or, or natural instincts that we may be to uh you know may, may be in tune to when we overcome that we all of a sudden find a certain strength within ourselves we never knew we had and a confidence that we never knew we had and this is why like i said even within ourselves we have a right and a left if we would have both two right feet we would be unbalanced we need the constant clash of the two extremes in order for us to grow it's when two things come together that something even better happens it's when the force of Shem Havaya and Shem Elohim, God's kindness and severity come together, we have a reality which is would be unfeasibly possible, which is a reality which we can have freedom of choice. We can be making our own decisions. And in life in general, it's when there's balance. Well, this is why Judaism so much strives for balance. When there's extremes, they're usually missing out harmony. And when you don't have harmony, you're not real, you're missing the point, right? It's all about a blend. So duality and understanding that opposites can coexist and they create something even more beautiful together is a fundamental idea within Judaism. So I think we're still wrapping up chapter four in a way. We didn't really begin with what chapter five adds. So there's two elements before we begin chapter five which I think is a crucial, and I want to reiterate it because I said these are such fundamental ideas within Judaism. The first thing, as I mentioned before, is the fact that our reality and our life is made up of positive and what seemingly are negative experiences. But as Jews with faith and understanding how God created the world, we can look at them as both two forms of positive experience. One is a positive I can relate to, and one is a positive that's too great for me to understand. Hopefully, hopefully within our lifetime, we're able to see the positive of that experience by coming out perhaps better from it within our lifetime. But even if it's we don't see within our lifetime, all everything that happens to us is our experience that we need to go through for us to achieve whatever it is that we're meant to achieve. And as I mentioned last week, this is why when we ask for a blessing, we ask for revealed blessings. Because we know everything that comes from God is blessings. Everything within our life is blessings. But <laughs> we don't, we, 
as much as we know and we believe that the blessings that happen, that the neg- that the things which don't seem positive in our life are also blessings, it's a strong test of faith to be able to incorporate them and actually accept, appreciate them as blessings. So in our prayers every morning, we pray, God, don't lead us to challenge. Don't bring us to hardships. But if we do have them, we embrace it. We try to embrace and understand this is a way of God interacting with us. This is not a negative force. We've not become victim now to the Satan or all that type of nonsense that you, some people may say. In Judaism, whatever situation we're in, it's a situation which we're meant to be because something's supposed to come from here. So that's first, a key idea in Judaism. A second thing is understanding ourselves. We're a makeup and a reality of two forces of God, a force of extreme positive of stream light and also a force of concealment and everything within the world is a mix of the two which leads to a medrash which says in the current time there's no good that doesn't have some bad in it and there's no bad that doesn't have some good in it life is complex life is far from black and white why because we're created from black and white <laughs> that's the reality light and dark came together both acts of god both forces of god and created us and that's why to attain while we hope and we work towards perfection we don't expect perfection we're always going to have a mix of the two a blend and within ourselves we're going to find And this will lead to a key concept within the Tanya that we have conflicting forces within ourselves. We're not either black and white. We don't either have just one mode of operating. We can have conflicting, uh, what we call a Jewish schizophrenia, conflicting perspectives within ourselves of what we should or shouldn't be doing at different times. But that's all because we are, from their core, a creation from two forces. So we're constantly on the men to find a harmonious approach to everything that we do within ourselves as well. And as when we lift up, you know, this is, like I said, this is why also sometimes we do something positive. It feels like we may have also rubbed some people the wrong way or vice versa. Some people which rub the people the wrong way also do some good on the, at the side too. How is that possible? It's possible because our world is created from these two forces. And therefore, within our reality, we can constantly find a blend or a mix of sort of both together. So here comes in chapter five. Well, I, I, we may have to continue this a little bit more next week. In chapter five, all this is nice and good. So we explain how, what do we accomplish? We explain that God's reality is not affected by creation because we're all just an extension of God. We, how do we then not feel that? Because God has a actively conceals has a force of concealment to allow us to feel independent which is a a active player side by side according as according to some expression of the tanya the letters themselves the energy that infuses the letters of creation are shame avaya but the letters themselves are already the letters of concealment it's already giving a, a shape a form to the 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 energy of god so with these, what we came to the conclusion, though, what we're saying right now is that there's this duality within creation that we're both a direct connection of God, but we're also confined by God's severity, by the concealment. And as we said, nature, right? So, end of the day, when I wake up in the morning, am I 
is my life determined based off shame Elokim or shame Havaya? What do I mean by that? The reality that I can expect today is based off nature, which is the force of God concealment, or off God himself. I'm a part of God, so therefore the rules don't apply to me. Right? As one of the, there's a famous story of a Tana in the Talmud, which uh, may have shared the story, which was very poor. And his wife had gone to, already sold all the pieces of jewelry she had, and they couldn't find oil to light the Shabbat candles. So he looked around the house and he saw the only thing they had was vinegar. So he filled up the candles, the wicks with vinegar. And he said the same creator, which said oil should light, should say vinegar should light. And they lit the Shabbat, they lit the candles and it lit, right? So that is, how is that possible? Because the world is created by God. God made the rules so he could play around with the world rules. But that's a shame Havaya perspective, right? So on our day-to-day basis, how do we look around the world? Do we rely on science for the way we choose our decisions? Or do we say that we're the people of God and we're not defined by rules and science? So over here, you have the scene from Fiddler on the Roof where you have some people arguing and one person makes his point and Tevye says, you're right. And another person makes their point and he says, you're right. And the third person says, they both can't be right. And he says, you're right also. (laughs) So in Judaism, there's a very interesting balance by understanding because the world is created between the two that both are at play. So this is a bit, I'll actually read from chapter five. Let me pull it up. With regard to this, the rabbi stated, at first God considered creating the world with the attribute of judgment, but he saw that the world would not endure. So he combined it with the attribute of mercy. Now, what is he talking about over here? So I I don't know if I, I didn't get it ready on the screen. But it's an interesting note. If you want some reading, you could test. You could check. You could um, see if I'm. If I'm. If you want, you could test me on this. If you open up the book of Genesis, the story of creation, and it says God created the world. Which name of God does it use? In the beginning, Bereshis bara Elokim et Hashemayim. Elokim, the second name of God. The name of God, as we mentioned, which is the one of severity, judgment, of concealment, created the earth. And it, throughout all the six days of creation, the only name that God mentioned is the name of Elohim. Only after the Torah initially goes through the entire story of creation, in chapter 2, verse 4, is the first time there's a mention of the name of Havaya, the, the name yud Vavhe. Over there it says, when it recaps the creation a little bit more in depth, specifically about um, the, seventh, the sixth day of creation, says, this is the story of heaven and the earth when it was created on the day Hashem Elohim, Havaya Elohim, Asos Hashem Elohim, Eretz Hashemayim, on the day God created heaven and earth. So the commentaries all ask, what's going on over here? Why is the name of Elohim the only name used initially? And then by the recap, it adds the name Havaya. Now both names of God. So in Kabbalah, we understand this in Hasidus, we understand it as follows. Initially, and this is why the initial scripture of creation was written with just Shem Elohim. Initially, the world was supposed to be dictated solely by the rules of concealment, solely by the rules of nature. There was n- not meant to be a by a default avenue to tap into 
the energy of Shem Havaya in this world. It was supposed to be a natural world 100%. That's the only ability one would be able to tap into. At that point, God realized, though, that it's not sustainable. Unless we're able to feel how we're connected as well somehow to Shem Havaya, to the to the to the revealed some sense of revealed sense of God, we wouldn't be able to stay. We would be hard for us to stay connected with God. And therefore, at the end of the day, when the world was actually created, he mixed in the energy of Shem Havaya in our reality as well. Again, that doesn't necessarily answer a question, but in very short words, as in Torah, Torah dictates us, for example. To work. If you want to have money, you want to have what you need, you need to work. Now that means that we are reliant on nature. We need natural means in order to survive. Yet what does God say? On the seventh day, you rest. Wait a second. My business is in a, I run a business that's in a very touristy area. Saturday is a weekend. How do I not work on Saturday? God says you rest. Because at the end of the day, I created this world. And if you rest on Saturday, you're going to have whatever you need. The fact, the observance of Shabbat is a statement that we believe God created the world. What's the connection? It's all about this. It's although we need to rely on nature for our means, we believe still that it's God who's working through nature. And therefore, if God says not work on a certain day, that's not going to be a blockage for the blessings he's trying to say to them, send to me. You know, the Reb, it's very interesting in letters the Rebbe had with people, and people said, you know, I started doing this mitzvah and my business and going well. The Rebbe said, there's no way the reason for your, for the lack of success in your business is a result of your observance of God. If there's a lack of success, there's an, obviously a different reason. Regardless of your observance of not, you wouldn't have had that success. And that perspective is only possible based off what we understand. If we truly understand that God created the world and he created the world, yes, he set up nature to define the world, but at the same time, he's still the creator and still actively involved. Both forces are active. Then on one hand, we know we have to turn to natural means for what we need, but we also pray at the same time. We pray for success and work on the success. Now, some people, their prayer is, token prayer but really torah tells us to pray because truly your success and your prayer your your active work that you're doing with the nature and your prayers are both crucial for your success they're both a part of the success that you want if you want it in a healthy way an example where we saw this is in the temple if you measured the size of the temple of the holy of holies and you measure the size of the Ark of the Covenant and the sticks, there was zero space. Naturally, there would be zero space within the room. Yet, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, every year in Yom Kippur, was able to walk in and walk in between the wall and the Ark of the Covenant. How? Go figure. If you measured it, you'll turn blue in your face. You do all the measurements, there's no space. But within space, there is a connection to something beyond space. And that is the result of the two forces of God being part of creation. Yes, 
Creation is, the reality we live in is determined off nature, off science, yet we still maintain a connection beyond that. This is why, let's say, for medicine, if you ask any rabbi a medical question, they're first going to say, consult with a doctor. I don't know any rabbi that actually will claim a Jewish perspective that we say, oh, if you have a medical issue, just go to your room and pray. Doctors are, you know, you know, doctors are not the... Are, are not part of our religion. I, I don't know any rabbi that would ever say that. At the same time, we pray when someone's not well. Or as the Rebbe told a lot of people, the doctor's job is only to tell you what he can do, not to give you predicaments. The doctor can't tell you what will be. He can tell you what he can do in the moment to help. So if the doctor starts giving a gloomy predicament, you say, doctor, stop there. That's already God's domain. If you could help, you can help. If you can help, you can help. But don't say what's going to be, because that's already God's domain. And you could talk to many doctors, um, which will tell you that there's an element that's always beyond. There's sto countless stories of people which defied all medical expectations. Right? What happened to the science? It doesn't make the science not true. It doesn't make those stories not true. They could both be true, like this with Tevya. Because there's both elements within our reality our reality is dependent on nature so therefore we can't make we can't make reckless decisions on our life but we also can have faith and trust in god and always believe that tomorrow could be better no matter what the circumstances or are facing us right now um uh, there's more more there's a little more on this topic that i want to discuss i'll leave it for next week but this is the like i said this is a very key fundamental from this concept, even if we just take this concept alone from this section of the Tanya, we've already walked away with an essential idea why it's so crucial understanding God and how God interacts with the world could change our perspective on how we engage in our day-to-day -day life. Um, any questions or thoughts? All right, so we'll uh, we'll wrap up this concept. Just we'll wrap up this concept next week. I just want to go ahead on September. Sixths, we're not going to be having a class because there's going to be a men's club event that evening, so I won't be available. Um, there's an email going out on the seventh. There's also going to be a woman's bake. so well, um, hopefully you could join us. And I think then we should be able to get another week or two in before the high holiday season. We may have to take a break over the holidays or not. So. That's our schedule, more or less, in the few weeks ahead. All right. Thank you all for joining us. Looking forward to next week.